So today we are having a look at the second major power that emerges from the self, which is the power of space. The power of space originating with Sat, no, the Sat of Sat Chit Ananda, the Sat which is the void beingness. No, the self, we can say it is existing, it is clearly there, it is undeniable, we could not even question its existence without this I being there. So, but this I of the self, it has no form, it has no shape, we cannot say it is big or small, we cannot say which color it is, it is formless, it is like an invisible cloud. And so from this void emerges then upon creation, the element of space. I have explained how that happens last time, so I'll not go into that here. And then from the element of space, which is the most subtle of all elements, all other elements are emerging. This is called the stupa of the body or the temple of the body, which is made out of these five elements. Earth, water, fire, air, and then space, also known as akash or ether. And so there we can see the space really as the mother matter from which all other matter comes, which is also basically the Western point of view, as they see empty space as not entirely empty. They see it as what they call dark matter, or dark energy, or a mixture of dark matter and energy. Dark matter meaning a matter which is there, but it is dark in the sense that we cannot really see it, we cannot really detect it, it is so subtle, it is so thin, you can say, it is so light, that we cannot really measure it, you cannot really weigh it, but indirectly to all kinds of calculations, science knows, okay, space is not truly empty, it still has some kind of matter there. And then when this matter condenses, it creates the element of air, you could say the gases. And when the gases condensate and start to create friction between the molecules, then we get the element of fire. And when the fire burns, it produces ultimately a liquid. So we get the element of water. And then when water further condenses, we get the element of earth. So the whole universe is made out of these five elements. And we ourselves also are made out of these five elements. And there the element of earth is especially important. Because the element of earth is the only one of these elements which has a fixed shape. No, water, for sure, it has a shape, but the shape always changes, depending on the container, no, which is made of earth. So, earth brings that illusion, I would say, of a shape which does not change, and therefore creates, very directly, the problem of attachment. And so, the most principal attachment is the attachment to the physical body. We attach to this body, so we want it to stay as it is. We don't actually 
want it to grow older. We don't want it to die. We don't want it to get ill. We want to protect it. You know? That is our very basic attachment. And in a way, all our attachments are related to the various elements, not just to the earth element. We will go a little bit more into that. But so we have to see that this attachment problem that we have, and that is very often discussed, I would say, like in Advaita Vedanta, in talks on non-duality, that this attachment is not just mental. So when we say, oh, you just have to let it go, no? your fear about your health or your finances or your desire for chocolate or whatever, no? And very often it is said, oh, you just have to let it go, as if it is just a matter of like changing the way you think about it. But truly here in the elements we can see how these desires are actually very energetic also. And sure, to change our mind about it is the first step. But still, to work with the elements is also very much needed so that these desires become a little bit less. Purnamada, Purnamidam. So the desires of the elements are really related to the basic properties of those elements. And I have already explained for the earth element how that is the only element which has a fixed form. So that is what very much differentiates the earth element from the other elements. And it is because of this property that the element of earth leads to the desire for security. We want to secure this form. We want to secure this body. And for that, okay, we do all kinds of things. And it creates all kinds of attachments and many, many problems. Sometimes for this security, people will kill each other, you know, <laughs> and uh, have many worries, maybe, and so on. So definitely there, the earth element is very important in our problem of, of attachment. But we can, of course, also be attached to other things. And then, for example, the water element, it brings the attachment to all kinds of pleasures of mind and the senses. Because it is in the water element that we experience our pleasures and also our pains. So some sensory input you can say is pleasing and some sensory input is not so nice. So there we have you know, the desire to escape that which is painful or not so agreeable and to enjoy that which is pleasurable. And all that is actually happening in the water element in our body, which comes in a number of ways, no? as the blood plasma, in which we find uh, all the neurotransmitters and hormones, which actually gives the physical sensation of pleasure or pain. But also in the cells of our body, we have water. No? They are largely made out of water, and it is also there in this water that the same molecules no, which are often called the molecules of emotion, no, of sensation, that we are experiencing them. And also in our brain, no, we experience these neurotransmitters in the cerebrospinal fluid. So in that way, the element of water is the one responsible for our desire for pleasure. 
And then the next one, the element of fire, it has the property of illuminating things. If there would be no fire whatsoever, we could not see anything. No? So, because in the light of fire we are seeing, we are worrying about what people are seeing. <laughs> and so, that is where our very principal desire for some kind of social status and acceptance originates. We feel that we are being seen, and so we wonder, okay, how can we improve the image? No? So, uh, yeah, there again we can say so many things are happening because of that attachment no, to our status. Also there, sure, people uh, kill each other no? if they feel that they are not respected in their status, for example. That can bring a very big anger. So, it is certainly one of those things no, it, where the ego gets its most dominant role no? in our public image. That is directly related, actually, to the fire element and also to the confidence that the fire element gives. You know? If the fire element is not strong, we will not feel very confident and we will be even more feeling insecure about our public image. You know? So, and then we have the element of air, which has the basic property of connecting. And why is air connecting us? Because we are all breathing the same air. And this air not only brings us oxygen, but it also brings us the life force. It is actually the prime carrier of the life force. And so, through the element of air, we recognize each other as being alive. And that makes us want to connect to each other. Connect to others who are also alive. So, there the element of air, and especially there no, the prana which is in the air, the life force, creates the desire for love. And of course, love, it comes in many different ways, and many people actually will have love more based in other elements. Like, love can be based in the earth element, when we are expecting our partner to protect us or maybe pay lots of bills. <laughs> or we can expect our partner to give us lots of pleasure. Or we can hope our partner will give us a better public image. Because maybe yeah, that partner is very good looking or very rich or whatever. No? But the real desire for love, I would say the more unconditional love that we are seeking is created by the life force in the air element. And then last but definitely not least, no, the space element, it creates distance. No? It allows us to see things from a distance. And because of that, it creates in us the desire to understand. No? Because understanding always comes when we a little bit step back and look at something from a distance. Really start observing something and trying to understand it. No? And I would say along with the desire for unconditional love, the desire for understanding is also, generally speaking, an uplifting desire. But still our attachment to this understanding can be seen as quite troublesome on the yogic path. And then especially when we try to stop mind, when we try to meditate, then all the time no, this desire is disturbing us. 
when we are trying to evaluate what is happening or thinking about what is happening in our meditation and what we experience and so on. We all know this problem. So there we can see also no, the desire for understanding, creating quite many uh, problems or, or limitations uh, for us. You know. So when then we are trying to work with the elements, what we are basically trying to do is make them stable. And to make them stable means to bring them in a kind of balance. Each one of them is needed. And so to bring them in a balance means that we give them the proper place. Like we bring them in the proportion which is most suitable, which is anyhow also something which depends on the moment. So it is also somewhat personal. But in that way, it also corresponds to the primary property of the element of space as the mother matter, which is there to give everyone space. I've explained this before. Like in the environment, we can see every species has like a proper niche where it will be most successful and where it will be most happy depending on its particular properties. So, very much in the same way, to care for our body, to care for the elements in our body, means that we each give them the proper place. You know? And when each has the proper place, then we can more easily detach from them. Then they will not so much bother us and... Uh, I can give a few very simple examples. No? For example, if the earth element is dissatisfied, this comes when we are hungry. No? <laughs> then our body feels there is not enough earth element being supplied to it. No? And so, yeah, if we are hungry, we eat. No? So that is a very basic way in which we take care of the earth element. No? But if we eat too much, maybe because we are mostly being guided by our taste buds, then we are supplying too much of the earth element to our body, which means we become very heavy. You know, because the earth is the most solid of all elements. And when we become very heavy, we are not light you know, in our energy. And more easily negative emotions come, more difficult it, it becomes to meditate and things like that. In the same way, in the water element, one very interesting view, for example, of Ayurveda on the art of cooking, is that when we prepare a meal, it should have all six tastes in proper proportion. Because if it is not having one of these six tastes, then all day our body will crave that taste and will create a kind of restlessness inside of us, which, yeah, is again not going to be very helpful when we try to meditate or be calm and, and peaceful and happy. No? And in that way, for example, we see many people who are into junk foods, who are basically giving only yeah, the, the sweet taste, the sour taste, the salty taste, no? 
And so then the other tastes are not there. So then that continuously produces a desire to eat something more. But actually what the body wants at that time is not to have more food, more of the earth element. No, it is seeking a certain kind of tickling by a certain kind of taste, which produces in us a certain kind of vitality. No, because definitely when our body feels sufficiently, I would say, pleasured, for example, on the level of taste, which is the second chakra or the water elements, no, uh, main sense uh, organ, then, yeah, we will feel more happy and more alive, no? more, more vitality will be there. No? So, same way for all the other uh, elements, if we feel lack of confidence, then our fire element, we can a little bit increase it by taking some ginger or other spicy food. If yeah, our air element is disturbed, then of course we have all kinds of breathing exercises that we can do to increase or decrease you know, the air element in, in our body. So in that way, it is a matter of no, detached attachment. No, we take care of these things, but we don't get too much attached also there. No, when we are then, for example, trying to cook uh, healthy food, okay, it will never be perfect. No? So we also should not uh, lose our mind whenever we have to eat something which is not perfect. No? We can just try to have a balanced uh, diet then whatever unpleasantness remains, maybe, uh, we detach from it. Here we show the relationship between the senses and the elements. And of course, this is a very important relationship also when we think about meditation. Because one of the first things that we have to do if we want to meditate is that we have to withdraw our attention from the senses. Because if we do not, then whatever sound is there, whatever smell is there, whatever is there, it will always distract us. No? And uh, we will not be able to concentrate inside. We will not be able to find our inner space, no? which is really where we want to go in meditation. We want to shut out all experience of the environment around us and find truly our inner space. No. So there, Pratyahara, of course, it is a main thing, withdrawal of the senses. But this again very much depends on the balances that are there in the elements. No. And so what this table actually shows, water, fire, air, space, in pure form, they have no smell. So smell is very particular to the earth element. Just the same as taste is very particular to the water element, because if the tongue is totally dry, then we cannot taste uh, anything. No? And sight is obviously related to the light created by the fire element. And air, we can only experience it by the sense of touch, because, okay, the air, if it is pure, we cannot smell it, we cannot see it, we cannot taste it. And then space is very particular in the sense that it is directly related to the sense of sound. Because even in modern science also they agree that while, okay, in our life sound mostly travels through the air element, in outer space also sound can travel. Precisely because, no, this is not an empty space. It has some 
very subtle kind of matter. And so through this matter also uh, sound can travel. So there is this relationship between senses and elements and there the very same thing is there that if the earth element is not satisfied then it will create a disturbance to uh, withdraw from the sense of smell. No? So I could go through all the others, I think I'll take it a little too far, but quite simply, no? if we are um, having a problem not to listen, for example, this is one of the main things, of course, in meditation, the disturbance of sounds from, from the outside, then no, this, this has reasons. No? If we feel insecure, for example, in the place where we sit, which is related to the earth element, then for sure we will be listening. No? If we are fearing a tiger is going to come nearby no? or a snake, no? for sure we are keeping our ears open. No? So all these things are very important if we want to meditate, that we feel secure and comfortable within the senses. Comfortable also means that we have to, to some degree, also please the senses. And this is going to be a little bit surprising because in general yogic uh, way, okay, the senses are seen as a big problem and we are very much pushed to withdraw our attention from there and not to please the senses too much. And of course, this is very true also since we are having a society where we are actually totally obsessed by the senses no? and where the whole economy is based on sensory enjoyment and yeah for sure no? but at the same time we can also see that in a yogic lifestyle to somewhat create a pleasing and calming input for the senses is definitely advisable no? which means if you go into a little ashram or something, no? okay, they will keep the place clean. No? And they'll have some flowers and they'll have some decorations and you know they'll make the place looking nice so that in that way it affects us no? in, in a good way when we open our eyes. We get some nice input, not just some ugly concrete uh, walls or, or, you know, and same way we burn some incense for the sense of smell. Same way we prefer to wear natural clothes which are comfortable on our body, not irritating like many synthetic fabrics are. And in, in many ways also, no, as I explained, for the food, no, to have tasty food. When it is time to have food, why not also enjoy it? No? So that in that way, the sense of taste is satisfied and will not bother us with the desire for chai in the middle of our meditation, no? because our taste buds have been satisfied to some degree. No? And then, of course, when we meditate, we want to withdraw from the senses, so then all kinds of things we are going to do to, as much as possible, block the senses. We're going to close our eyes, for example, maybe um, if if there is a lot of light, try to reduce the light. There's the practice of putting ash on the skin, for example, which will numb the skin and the sense of touch so that we have less the feeling that we are there sitting in the body. 
there are no there's the incense uh, there are so many things no, that that can be used there so we should also do that no, keep our mouth clean for example so that we do not have an unpleasant taste in the mouth is very essential no? if you have an unpleasant taste in the mouth and you are trying to meditate then this taste is going to generate negative emotion no? so to clean your teeth let's say before meditating is very advisable no? So that all then allowing us to withdraw no, our attention from there to the inner space. And there we also have that ability to use the inner senses. And this may be a little bit confusing because normally we yeah, connect the idea of the senses mostly to what you know, information we get from outside. But in dream also, no, we see things, we hear things, maybe even smell things, or in another way have a sensory input, which is of course not truly an input, it is more a kind of imagination from mind. But from there we can see that really what we have inside of us are the inner senses, and the outer senses, they only work through these inner senses. So when we want to withdraw from the outside, one of the major ways is there to use the inner senses so that, for example, we will visualize something and focus on it. And that way it will be much more easy to withdraw inside. Mm -hmm. If we want, okay, we can just go inside in the sense of going in some kind of very dark space you know, where nothing is there. That is possible, but it is more difficult. You know? For most people, it will be much more easy if first, within that inner space, we can place some object there and maybe make some sound there, like, for example, do some inner mantra recitation, create some kind of inner sensory perception there so that we can more easily stay there and our mind will not wander. No? Here we have no, a very tantric practice of yantra meditation. And so, okay, this is quite complex as an image. We can use more simple images also, like, I don't know, the image of a lotus or of a flame or a triangle or a square or something. You know? But these yantras really have been constructed because they have a certain power that will affect our energy very much in the same way that a mantra has a power that will affect our energy. No, so when we discuss about mantra meditation, we can say, okay, if you want, you can meditate on any word. No, you can meditate, I don't know, on coffee. <laughs> I don't know. No, then in your mind, you go coffee, 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 coffee. But then what is the impact of that word? No, we don't know. While with mantras, we know that they have been constructed to affect certain energy centers and to bring a kind of peace, no? so that the object of our meditation is not only an object of meditation, but is also helping us to reach a more meditative state. So in the same way, these yantras have been constructed based on a certain kind of knowledge of yeah, what various shapes and also colors will do to our energy, how they will affect us, and how easy it will be 
to remain focused on them. And so then one of the first things that we can say is that all yantras are contained by a kind of square and are, for example, not circular in nature. Because the circle is actually an extension, an expansion of the dot. No? And so if we try to meditate on a circle, it will always expand. And that way it will be very difficult to hold it in our mind. While a square object is much more easy to hold because it is limited. It is not going to grow by itself, let's say. But then usually these gates are added so that this square becomes not too static. No? That gives a little bit of more variability there. And then within that square, circles are being put. Because of course, circles have a very powerful impact on, on our feeling. No? Maybe much more preferential to squares when it comes to what kind of feeling they give us because they are round. <laughs> and in that way, they bring us more of a, yeah, a round kind of feeling, I would say, a feeling of softness, a feeling of beauty, a feeling also of endlessness. In that way, no, they will they will affect our mind. And okay, then there are lotus petals and different triangles or other figures that can be used there inside. All focusing the attention to the central dot, no, which is the essence of the antra, which actually represents, you can say, the uh, main divine energy of the yantra. And so the idea is here, yes, that we focus our mind on this yantra, maybe using a mantra at the same time, engaging both the left and the right hemisphere. One is auditive, the other is visual, and in that way having really a very good concentration, no? which for many people is still the main uh, stumbling block, I would say, in, in meditation. We can keep that yantra and keep meditating on it. And just like in deeper meditation, when the mantra sort of becomes purely energetic and I would say dissolves into its essence, also the yantra will dissolve into its essence and its essence is the central dot. You know? So then in the end, okay, we will be focusing only on a dot maybe. Maybe some people also don't need any yantra to come to that point where they can meditate on a dot. You can just, for example, you know, paint a dot on the wall and stare at that for a while and then recreate it in your mind and start focusing on that dot there. That is also something which is done, of course, but it is generally found to be much more easy to first have a more complex image which is then gradually made more simple. Just in the same way as I have explained many times that if you do mantra meditation, that first maybe you are going to synchronize your mantra with breath, or maybe yes, visualize the mantra while reciting it, or using different other hang-ups, no? so that your concentration is complete and you have no way to think actually, no? there's too much to do in your exercise, the same way the antra gives a rather complex image, which is maybe a little hard to visualize, but precisely for that reason, if you can do it, 
it will also really make you very concentrated. Actually, in my experience, people who are good at drawing, they are good at visualization. This goes quite together. And since I suck at drawing, I am really not very good at visualizing. And for me to visualize a complex yantra like that is really near impossible. But I do use visualization in meditation for sure, but I take a little bit more simple images, like for example with Kali mantra, I can use the typical red triangle associated with Kali, or I can visualize also the characters of the yantra that is is there. So, yantras are definitely not my specialty. I like to refer there to Harish Johari's uh, famous book, Tools for Tantra, where he explains a lot about how to make yantras and how to use yantras and gives many examples. And there is also a beautiful book by Sarah Tomlinson, one of his students, on the nine yantras of um, the planetary systems, which are also very interesting to work with. We are then again returning to the um, objective of harmonizing the elements in our body, which has been made a little bit more easy in Ayurveda by, I would say, reducing the problem of five elements to the problem (laughs) of the three doshas. And I'm saying problem because that is literally what the word dosha means. Dosha means fault or imbalance, you can say. And so this has not been done, of course, only to simplify things. (laughs) This is also because truly that is also how it works in our body. Because for any problem to occur, there has to be a movement. And there is only two elements out of five which are particularly moving. And that is the water element and the air element. So when earth and water together move and create a problem, this is then experienced as a mucus problem or the mucus dosha, which is called kapha in Sanskrit. And when fire and air combine and make a problem, then we have a problem of bile, or also named pitta. And then if air and space are combining and creating a problem, then we have a problem of wind, or vata. So, to understand yourself as a body, so that you can harmonize the elements inside of you. This understanding of the three doshas is quite essential. And to my experience, a much more workable way to deal with any problem in your body than the more analytical way that is then very commonly used in the Western approach of looking at this molecule and that molecule and this organ and that organ and so on. I'm not saying that all doesn't make sense. Of course, it makes sense. 
but to deal with the elements of our body on a daily basis, the doshas are really going to be much more easy to work with. Because the problem with all this information that comes in terms of molecules and yeah, different foods and, and uh, different aspects of, of the body and different organs is that it gets far too complicated to actually work with. I remember at the time when the first studies came out on neurotransmitters, for example, I was so enthusiastic. I felt, wow, finally here we have like a simple way in understanding our emotions on the level of different neurotransmitters, like you know, at that time known were uh, endorphin, serotonin, adrenaline, you know, these... Uh, very basic neurotransmitters. But meanwhile, thousands of neurotransmitters have been discovered. You know? So then at some point, I really left that approach because I felt, okay, this is too much uh, to deal with. It is too complicated. And of course, if we deal with the real health issue, then okay, it becomes complicated. And then also in Ayurveda, you may need the help from an Ayurvedic practitioner to actually be able to to deal with it. You know? If we are talking more about minor imbalances that we can also counter quite rapidly, then understanding the doshas is really a major way to keep your own system in balance. And this is extremely important because any imbalance in the body in the elements, in the doshas, will easily lead to some kind of emotional imbalance. When bile is in excess, when, let's say, there is too much fire in our body, then very easily anger will come. I even had it today. <laughs> I was cleaning. And so, moving about quite a lot. And it was relatively hot because the sun was shining. Okay, but I was not so much noticing that. And I still had like a pullover on. And, and somehow I started thinking about something. And I was surprised that there was quite a level of irritation on that subject somehow. Until I realized, yeah, but I'm feeling very hot also. So then very easily such more angry thoughts they come. So I just had a glass of water, took off a pullover, and then continued cleaning. And very easily then, no, that anger, I could let it go. Of course, the body is not the only one responsible no, for any kind of anger. We are the ones who are angry. No? It is in our attachment, it is in our identification, and all these things. But definitely, if we can keep anger a little bit under control, then the fire element will not get out of balance and vice versa. If we can get the bile element under control, then the anger will not so easily come. With mucus, it's a little bit different. If there's too much of it, then sadness will be produced. If there's too little of it, actually it leads to a kind of emotionless state. Like you can say, a person becomes very dry, you know, really not drinking enough water, basically. Then that also means they will not be so much in touch with their emotions. They will not be able to sense very much what they are feeling. And if the mucus gets polluted, 
then it produces a feeling of disgust and depression. And this always works both ways. Any depression, any feeling of disgust will pollute. The water element in the body will pollute the mucus. And any pollution of the mucus, for example, as a result of chronic constipation or some other like digestive issue, uh, will easily produce feelings of depression or, let's say, low energy, negative thinking, lack of self-confidence, and, and so on. And so then the last, but definitely not the least, is the wind element. If the wind element gets out of control, if there's too much of it, then we will easily become imbalanced. You know? It will create fear, it will create a kind of restlessness, it will very much stimulate the speed of thought, and so then it becomes very, very difficult to meditate, which is also why, if you look in yogic practice, that getting the wind element under control is regarded as one of the main things. And so when sadhus, for example, who meditate a lot, become very particular about food, then it will be mostly there that they are going to avoid any gas-producing foods so that the wind element is not out of control. Because this creates a nervousness no, in the nerves, quite literally, and then also from there in, in our brain. So, okay, this is all not so easy, and a lot of it actually relates to our food. And I truly cannot explain here about it. I have another class called Yoga Food. So if you want on YouTube, you can find that and get some basic idea about how to cook and what to cook and what foods will, for example, produce more of the wind element, what foods will help to reduce the mucus element and so on. And it's not only about what kind of foods we need, it's also about how they are prepared. This is very important in many cases. And also when we are eating what. No? And last but definitely again, then not least, no, that we do not overeat, that we get the right amount of food. These are all things that are very important and where some learning is needed. No? We can feel very strongly that, uh, okay, we are not this body, we are no, the self, we don't have any problem. But even teachers like Ramana, for example, they will indicate the importance of balanced food no? and of not overeating, for example, also. No? Because if we overeat, we become very heavy and then much more difficult no? to have that light feeling that is associated um, with the self. So, there I also like to refer to Harish Jahari's fantastic cookbook called uh, Ayurvedic Healing Cuisine. It does not only have so many great recipes which are very tasty and very healthy, but also I think about one third of the book is full of information about different foods and different preparation methods and you can learn a lot from that also. As I said, if you really have a health problem, better have a specialist, no? because this gets quite complicated. And if it is an Ayurvedic specialist, okay, he will also be looking at bile, mucus and wind. First and foremost, this is the most essential understanding of Ayurveda. 
but he will also look at many other things. But to deal with, I would say, short-term issues there, definitely you can have yourself a very simple and basic understanding, which is related to these doshas, and then moisture and temperature. So the bile dosha is hot and dry. And the mucus dosha is like the opposite. It is cold and moist. Mm -hmm. The wind dosha is the special one because it is cold and dry. So very simple. If we feel that bile is too much and we want to decrease it, what do we do? We drink more water to bring down the fire. And if we feel that the bile is not so much, which we'll mostly experience as a kind of weakness or a lack of confidence, then we can take something a little spicy, like a rather strong ginger tea. It will then help us. This table is actually showing how to change the doshas just by using either water or ginger tea. So, and then in the opposite way, if mucus is too much, like we're having a running nose and a cold and a cough, no? or we're a little bit emotional maybe, no? if we have too much of that mucus, then again the ginger will help. No? The fire will evaporate, you can say, the water. No? On the other hand, if we are, as I explained, a little bit like too dry, like really feeling our tongue being very dry. That is something to always watch, watch out for because it will also bring a disturbance in the emotions quite easily. And so then, okay, we have some water. And the wind element is the most difficult one to deal with because it is both cold and dry. So there, whether we want to increase it or we want to decrease it, a mild ginger tea will always work best. No? Mild because we do not want too much increase the dryness. No? If we take too much ginger, it will increase the dryness. And if we want to decrease the wind element, then a little bit of fire no? will be enough to remove the cold no? without creating too much of a dryness. This is also why here I use the example of ginger rather than saying uh, hot chilies or something. Because hot chilies are particularly drying no? compared to ginger. Ginger actually has a lot of water in it. And I mean here fresh ginger, not dried ginger. And so in that way, it is relatively mild in its, in its effect. No? So and then when talking about the body, of course, we also have to talk about exercise. Here we see the relationship between our asana practice and the doshas. So definitely exercise is one of the main ways in which we can harmonize the elements in our body. And actually there any movement will do that. And asana practice is there particularly interesting. But this more relates than actually to the next subject, which we will see in the next video, which is the subject of prana. Because asana is a very good way 
to release tension from different parts of the body. So that we will discuss next time. But here we also need to have a bit of a look at it because asanas also have quite a strong impact on the doshas. And this is something which in my feeling is really too much forgotten when people are teaching asana practice. Here we do not mean the doshas in terms of temporary imbalances that occur in, in our body. But here we mean the doshas as body types. Like we are all born with a certain dosha. Some are more wind-dominated. They are usually thinking a lot. Some are more mucus-dominated. They more have a feeling nature. And some are more bile-dominated. And they are the ones who can never sit still and always want to do something. So this is here not the place to totally go into that. But when we practice asana the way it should be done, which means daily, then this table is extremely important if we do not want our asana practice to create an imbalance in our doshas. And you can look at the bottom of that table to see a very clear example there. We there have the famous sun salutation, the Surya Namaskar, which is one of the things I think which many people are doing on a daily basis. And for sure, according to this overview, if you are mucus dominated, this is a very good idea because it will somewhat heat up the system and it will somewhat remove uh, the lack of energy, which is typical for mucus dominated people. For people who are wind-dominated, it can definitely also be used, although maybe it is needed a little bit less compared to the mucus-dominated people. But for those who are bile-dominated, who already have a problem of too much fire, anger easily coming maybe, there to perform Surya Namaskar, in a strong way every day is totally not advisable. Not those would much more be suited by using the moon salutation, which is in comparison much more cooling. So, okay, you find more about that story in the book, but it is definitely something if you have a daily asana practice, which you should look into and adapt your practice accordingly. It is no problem if you are a bio-dominated person to do Surya Namaskar a few times in a yoga class once a week. That's not what we are talking about here. We are talking about the daily practice and the strong practice of some of these postures, which may really aggravate problems rather than solve them. So, okay, we've been looking briefly in a way at different issues in the body and different ways in which we can work with them. Definitely there is a lot to learn here. And of course, we have to be careful once we get involved into that, not to become too serious about it. What we can achieve at the most is some kind of dynamic balance. 
And with dynamic balance, I mean a balance which is not static. It is not like, you know, we will do something and then we are okay. No. It will always again change. It will change according to the time of the day. It will change according to the weather. It will change according to your activity. It will change according to your food and so on. So it is like a dance. And in this dance, we should not become too serious also. Too many people also in spiritual circles are too much obsessed by their food. And if we become very obsessed by our food, for example, by only wanting to eat things that are very easy to digest. Now, this is one of those things that can come when we become a little bit attached, I would say, to that light feeling. Then we want food not to bring a heavy feeling and then we become quite attached to light foods. But they may not be nutritious enough sometimes no, for us. And the more we are actually there always supplying our system with food that is extremely easy to digest, then if once we have to eat something which is a little bit more difficult to digest, we will have big trouble no? because our system is not used to it. So I'm definitely not advocating becoming very religious about food. No? I'm mostly saying understand your food, know what it is doing, and try to achieve a kind of dynamic balance without, you know, overdoing it and still giving your system a little challenge now and then so that it remains strong and flexible. You know? Otherwise, you might actually become uh, quite weak. Anyhow, as we grow older, some discomfort, some pain we will have. No? <laughs> so we can try to avoid that by um, taking good care of our body so that, okay, yeah, we can sit for quite a long time without pain being there too much. But at the same time, remain detached also from that. Some pain will sometimes be there. And as I said, the older we get, the more difficult it is, let's say, to be painless. So then we also need to learn to detach from this pain, of course. But that'll be the most easy we feel that at least we have done in a natural, normal way what is needed to, okay, care for the body like a good mother would. If we take good care, then it's more easy to forget about it. That is the main idea here. If we really see our body as a temple in which our spiritual practice and progress is happening and we take good care of it, then it will be more easily to forget about this temple to forget about our physical form and to go inside and meet our more essential beingness. And there, of course, then this motherly love, we should cultivate it in ourselves, not only with regard to our own body, but also with regard to others. And so this is where our attitude should become an attitude of sharing. Of sharing, okay, what we can share. Many things actually can be shared without getting less, no? <laughs> like understanding, like love, many things actually, no? beauty, music,
so many things actually belonging to the water element, the fire element, the air element, and the space element can be shared without getting less in any way. So there to share freely is advisable, only okay, in the earth element we have to be a little bit behaving naturally, not give the food to our neighbors that actually is needed by our children, you can say. No? In that there is quite a natural kind of order to things. And we take care as much as we can of everybody, but especially of those who are close to us and for whom we have a certain responsibility. No? That is also the natural way and the way in which nature also is organized. No? You can say that these ecological niches in nature, they are bubbles of love, no? And within that bubble, take care of each other, no? So that is also very natural, okay? We can love everybody in the whole universe, but if we are not friends with our neighbors, then that is where to start, no? It's in our local community, it is in our family, it is maybe in our subculture of friends who have a little bit the same kind of ideas about life, no? That we create this kind of sharing attitude that is, of course, very much a part also of the yogic practice, but it does not so much then relate, okay, to the element of space or the physical part, let's say, of our existence, but very much also to our ego and our real desire, as I said, our uplifting desire, you know, to connect to, to others. Ah, poor Namada, poor Namada.